0: Hey there, thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today I have Sharice Griffiths with me, a comedy writer and director, who won the BAFTA Brockliffe New Writing Competition for her TV pilot, The Big 3-0, and she also currently has a short comedy film that's touring festivals, a mockumentary called Killing for a Living, which has a fabulous cast of assassins. So, Charisse, I would love to start there and ask you why mockumentary and why assassins? Great question. Um, so, I guess, why assassins?
1: Um, well, it started off as a lockdown project, just a bit fun, really. So, I kind of went into a different world and um, came up with this idea that, you know, being stuck in a house together is pretty, pretty rubbish. But what would that look like if you were kind of all assassins in one place, kind of having to sort of knit together and work together? So, that's kind of where the idea came from really um and yeah why mockumentary i guess for me i've always loved mockumentary as a genre um i love things like what we do with the shadows and the offerings and it was sort of like my homage to those those tv shows really um it's also quite an achievable genre i felt on sort of a low bucket scale um so yeah we did it quite cheaply and
0: yeah it was just a lot of fun really amazing yeah i think the fun really comes through i had a lot of fun watching it wanted to dig into the tone a little bit more because you make it look so easy. You really nailed like a really funny mockumentary tone that completely captivated my attention and had a great arc to the 10 minutes. But I think that's harder to do than it looks. So I'd love to know a little bit, but first of all, about your process when you were scripting, and then I will ask you more about the direction stage. But when you were scripting, what do you think helped really nail that tone, nail those characters, nail that world? So I guess
1: with the script, it started off as a pilot, so for a longer episode, um, and there was sort of more of a, a plot-driven narrative to the mockumentary, um, and from there, I kind of thought, okay, so this is what would be in sort of like the TV, yeah, equivalent, but then I kind of thought, what can I actually make on a sort of low-budget scale, um, and kind of converted that into a short. So actually in sort of fleshing it out into a sort of more series document, so there was a, a treatment, a pitch deck, and also the, the script for the sort of 30-minute version. Um, really helped me kind of get into the heads of these characters, apart kind of figure out how they would react in different scenarios. And I think that really helped when I sort of had to dilute that down even further into a short film, because I knew these characters so well by this point, um, that I was able to kind of go, oh yes, I know this character will react to this in this way. This stimulus will, you know, get them to react in this way and that'll create this great moment of comedy. Um, so I guess, yeah, it was just something I was sat with for such a long time that these
0: characters just really became part of me in that way. That totally makes sense. And I love that as a proposition, kind of writing way more than you need to, to reduce it down, because all those things definitely feed into it. They they um, really came to life in such a brilliant way that we don't always get in sketch comedy. Sketch comedy can be so fun. And sometimes it is just about the play of the idea But yours was very much an established world with a really clear cast of characters. I love that. And how did you think about developing the conflict within that household? Because I thought it worked so well and added so much to the comedy.
1: Yeah. So I guess one thing I really like to do with comedy is think of who would be the worst possible person to go through this situation. Um, and that's kind of how I started off with coming up with the characters. So um, there's like an intern who's kind of like, not, we don't really understand the world, but he's kind of helping, doing cleaning and doing all this sort of stuff for the assassins. And he's very much like a dog's body in this. Um, but actually what's quite fun about his character is that he's so naive that he's not really you know aware of the situation. And having someone like that who's working with these or ultra professional contract killers um, just create this really nice juxtaposition kept it quite light and friendly rather than it being sort of like oh everyone's dead or we're gonna, you know die and kill everyone it's you know a bit more fun and more uplifting i guess so yeah we're kind of playing with that and looking at the different conflicts between different characters obviously you've got characters who perhaps have a similar sort of nature about them they're perhaps you know quite hierarchical in that respect you know you've got people trying to sort of fight for the alpha positions um, and what that kind of does is it puts them against each other into these great scenarios where they're constantly trying to, you know, play the status game between each other. Um, and yeah, and get great conflict out of that and that creates some great comedy moments. Oh, it totally does.
0: Yeah, the status games are so fun and I absolutely loved the intern character. I thought it was just added such a, um, a lovely kind of light, delightful element even though we're in a house of assassins. It was perfect. Love to ask you about the visuals because obviously you're both the writer and the director. There were so many visuals that I thought really brought the world to life in such a smart way, so fast. Like you've got less than ten minutes, but you did so much with it to make us believe it's an established house and they live there, and to really contribute uh, to the overall sense. So I'd love to know how you thought about that. How much actually was in the script, and how much was you with the director's eye being able to pull that out on the day. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was in the script, I guess, in my sort of
1: in my head. Some of it um, was taken out from the sort of the longer version of the script, like I talked about with the pilot. Um, so some of that just sort of stayed with me, and I was like, "Oh, it really needs to look like this because in my head, this is how it should look." But it wasn't actually written on the page. Um, but I worked with a really great, you know, art director and a great cinematographer who can, who sort of just helped elevate everything that I could see in my mind. Um, and, you know, it's all about sort of creating a small little detail. So, because it was quite a fast shoot, we shot in a single day. um So, it was like huge amounts of time to prep the house location. Um, it was very much kind of like working one room at a time and kind of dressing it so it would fit, you know, the scene we needed. Um, so, we kind of looked at the small details and kind of what we would see in frame. So, for instance, in the kitchen, we actually put a little shopping list on the fridge, which you don't really see that close, but you can kind of just see it. But it's got things like, Bread, cheese, bullets, body bags, things like that. So it's like those little nuances of
0: you know <laughs> what it would actually be like to be in a house with his dice. Yeah, that was perfect. I loved the fridge. I, I was leaning in and I watched it multiple times so I could take it all in. That was great. And I also loved the um, the whole sort of motif of the fish tank that you brought in. It was so good. So fun. And how that interlinked with the characters. Yeah, just and picking also, up on the fish. Go
1: for it. I was just going to say, just picking up on, on the fish tank, Um, that was something that... I kind of, I knew was in the location, so I actually wrote that into the script um, after seeing the location. I was like, oh, we have to use this and he actually created a couple of scenes around that just because it was there. So I was like, like, have to use this.
0: We've got a character who loves animals. This is perfect. Yeah. It was. perfect. And I'd love to know with regards to the actors and hitting that tone a mockumentary, entry where we can believe that they're assassins, but they also get to play like in, in quite a big colorful play box of crayons in terms of developing those characters. What did you do to help ground the characters so we could believe them, but also uh, to let the actors have that really fun time? Yeah, I mean, in terms of grounding the
1: characters, they're quite eccentric characters, I have to say. So, you know, they've got very big personalities and, you know, I think in terms of relatability, there's a huge amount of relatability, but I think it's more that you will empathise with these guys because you can kind of see, but are getting stressed out about things that, you know, you or I would get stressed out about you know, mm. people moving our stuff and, you know, having to clean up constantly after someone. It's, you know, those everyday things that, you know, kind of makes it more grounded, I guess, in um, and less sort of like, oh, yeah, no, we can't really being a house of assassins. It's, you know, finding those little moments that people go, oh, yes, no, that's just like me and, you know, people I live with, housemates always taking my stuff. It's such a pain. Um, yeah.
0: But that's, yeah. you know, <laughs> so
1: poor a gun, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> No, I love that. I thought you did it really expertly. That uh, I loved the sort of domestic and the escalation. Fantastic. And the last question I want to ask about the structure of it is how you thought about pacing or managed pacing. And I don't know how much of that was in the edit to make it such an engaging 10 minutes and also to really give us a satisfying arc. Because I think that's really hard to do in under 10 minutes, but you really achieved it. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tricky.
1: There's uh, no two ways about it. Um, the script, I think, was about 12 pages, so we did cut out a few scenes just from the actual um, the edit when we got to the edit and cut out a few little bits. But most of it actually made it into the final cut, which I'm quite happy about. Um, but in terms of pacing, it was very much kind of looking at it as individual scenes and kind of going, does this work? Is this funny? And kind of giving it enough breathing room and not trying to rush through it. Um, but also not trying to, you know, linger too long at certain points. There was a few moments where I'm like, is this lingering too much? And then it's kind of like, you have to kind of remember in mockumentary, some of those lingering moments are actually the funniest moments. Um, so it was kind of like editing, kind of fighting with your editing brain, I guess, to kind of go, oh, should we hold on this or should we just cut and trying to work out what's going to kind of get, get the laugh, I guess. Um, but yeah, pacing, massive thing. Can't really see that in the script until you kind of bring it into the edit really, cause again, mockumentary is such a, a nuanced genre. In that when you come to look at it, it is kind of like playing with, yeah, different time, how long things take, um, you know, creating that juxtaposition between different
0: scenes. Amazing. And what do you think is some of the nuance of mockumentary that sometimes people miss? Because I think sometimes people can think of it as quite like a, a broad brushstroke genre, but actually she said there's so much nuance in it to make it read, to make it work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of documentaries that work and I've seen a lot that don't work. And I think, you know, ones that do work will usually have, you know, some great characters. But it's also, you know, the style of shooting, it's, you know, having the camera a little bit more, I guess, involved in the storytelling than perhaps in a straight comedy. And obviously with our, our version of the mockumentary that we did, um, the camera was literally a, another character in, in the film, basically. Um, and that adds this different element so you have to think about your camera person as an actor in itself so you kind of have to think okay what would the camera person be doing if they were filming this like a documentary so it is really getting into that documentary mindset and kind of going right we've gone into this location how would someone film this if it was literally on the fly um, and trying to kind of you know capture everything that's happening so there's a lot of book pans just sort of moving around don't necessarily always know where the action's going to be and that's kind of one of the things I wanted to kind of really focus on in the way that we shot this is that, you know, we don't necessarily know where the characters are going to be. And so there's a moment where we're filming the fish tank and then we hear something in another room and then we cut to what's happening and he goes to the door. Um it's kind of like not, you know, knowing where your characters are going to be all the time. Um but not kind of making it too off red. Not
0: too obvious that you're doing that, I guess. That's really fun. I love thinking of uh, the camera as an extra character. I've never thought of it that way. Now you say it, it just makes so much sense. Of course, that's that's brilliant. I love that. So I'd love to ask how, when you're writing, before you get onto the set and before you're there with your director's eye and your performers, how do you like calibrate for yourself whether something is funny, whether it's working or not? And how do you test that for yourself or potentially then go to others to get feedback? What does that look like for you for different projects?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. That's the thing. A lot of the time you write in isolation. So you're kind of trying to make yourself laugh. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can be like, yes, this mm. is hilarious. And you'll say the joke to someone else and they'll be like, I don't get it. Uh, so, you know, you're constantly kind of having to kind of bounce ideas off other people. Um, I'm lucky I've got some really trusted people who I can kind of just show my stuff to and get great feedback um, on stuff if it's working or if it's not working um, and then sometimes you know you'll think something's working and then you'll get to the actual day of production and something just won't quite feel right and I think that's when you have to really trust your gut and kind of go okay this isn't working so let's try something else um, and you know see what we can do to kind of bring that humour back into it. Um, I was quite lucky. We um, came for a living we had great actors who were really happy to improvise so we, you know, we had a few moments where we were like, can we make this funnier? Um, and just kind of let the actors have a bit of free, free reign. Um, and there's a moment where Ruth is kind of eating an apple, and that was all in the script, and she meant to be eating this apple. Mm. Um, and then she does this other thing where it was completely improvised, where she like stabs the apple. We had a few takes like that, and then she ended up stabbing the kitchen accidentally. And, you know, you just kind of, things get to a point <laughs> where you're kind of like, okay, it's probably going a little bit too far now. She's going to start, you know, doing too much. But it's kind of knowing when to kind of play um, and when to kind of, you know, change up your ideas. And I think, you know, being adaptable as a director is a, a massive, important skill, um, just because you don't always know if it's going to work and when it comes to it, you have to trust that theme you've got. And if you're not finding it funny in the moment, you know, else course going to find it funny? And so you have to, with the laughing onset, I'd say that's a really good sign. Um, cause if everyone else is, you know, traveling and enjoying themselves around,
0: you, kind of like, like, well, yes, this is working. Um, so trust that. I so admire that, your money, that you managed to keep that attitude when it's like a 24-hour shoot. I mean, I know you didn't shoot for exactly 24 hours, but within 24 hours that you did it in a day, that's amazing that you can um, still bring that play. I see why it's so necessary, but I can also see how there could be a lot of stresses in that kind of situation to be the one who's having to make the decisions and pull it together. But I love that. And I know you've got quite a lot of production experience more generally, as well as being a writer and director. What do you think from that has helped you kind of really strengthen your craft or your attitude towards making the work? Like, what are some lessons that you've learned that are helpful? Do you think?
1: Yeah, so like you say, I've done quite a lot of um, different things in production. So I've you know, spent some time as a first AD. Um, I've worked as an editor, and I've done you know I've worn a lot of hats basically. I um, also direct commercials and you know music videos, things like that as well. Um, and I'd say all of it kind of just helps you as you're kind of building up your, your tools as a director, because you'll always be thinking ahead. You'll always kind of have, you know, different things in your mind. So just from having experience working as a first assistant director, I'm very conscious of time. So when I look at a script, I'm like, right, can we do this in a day? People were telling me it was ambitious, but I was like, you know what, I think we can actually manage this day because actually the way we're shooting, we can kind of, you know, use our time effectively with quite quick, obviously with the documentary style, we can be quick. Um, so it was pretty ambitious doing 12 pages in a day, but because I had that prior experience, um, like I could kind of go, yes, I know I'm going to make the day. Um, and again, you know, even by directing like commercials, you don't have huge heaps of time to do things as much as some people might think do. Um, a lot of the time it is a day or two days just to kind of get the stuff you need. So you're working constantly. You're always behind basically, so you have to kind of always know you've always been slightly behind, um, and just trying to kind of find those moments to claw back when you can. Um, and again, it comes back to being adaptable as director, going, right, what can we lose? What can we keep? What's essential to the scene to tell the story? Um, and, you know, you end up losing little bits, but then sometimes you'll gain extra bits. So you're kind of like, oh, let's just grab that now. You can kind of be looking for those moments and those things that you can do and sort of, you know, build up your
0: arsenal of things. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of answers the question. It does. Thank you. And with um, Killing for a Living, it's currently uh, at lots of uh, amazing comedy festivals you've submitted it and it's being shown for anyone who hasn't been through that process is there anything that you've learned through doing it or that you think would be useful to know if you were winding back in time and starting at the beginning of that again what would be useful to know
1: yeah so I mean with film festivals um I made a short a few years ago and I was like I'm gonna send it to Cannes I'm gonna send it to Sundance um and it wasn't brilliant it wasn't the best short ever um but i still you know i still submitted it and i did all this stuff um and it got into a few smaller festivals and i was like okay so actually it's kind of figuring out where your film maybe could sit and it's kind of knowing whether or not you want to kind of you know go for the Sundance, go for the can um and sometimes it's best to kind of go okay maybe you know this is i like this film but maybe it's not quite right for that festival uh for killing for a living we didn't go down the sort of the top tier festival route. we went very much strategically for comedy film festivals so We looked at a lot of UK festivals, because I'm based in the UK, Um, but we also looked at a lot of specialist comedy festivals. So we got into Toronto Sketchfest, which is a really great comedy festival in Toronto. And um, the film played, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now. We got a great reception. I had people on Twitter messaging me, going, you know, I just saw your film here and it was great. Um, And it felt amazing. I didn't get to go to the festival directly, but just knowing it had a presence there and there was people who were actually messaging me off the back of it was, you know, a great feeling. Um, so I would say always be strategic with what festivals you're going for. Can be really expensive, so if you're picking the ones that you really want to go to, or the ones you think your film would fit into, I think you'll you know get get more of a fighting chance with really of kind of getting it seen, getting it out there. Um, and also kind of looking at the festivals, going what films have screened here in the past, um, and kind of seeing if your film kind of matches their their themes of the year and the genres that they kind of support. On a mini push, so I think having that sort of insight into the festivals before you submit will ultimately save you money um, and hopefully help you, you know, get it out there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a long, it's a long process, and you spend a lot of time waiting and constantly checking your emails, going, "Has it, has it got in? Has uh, got in?" So you have to be very patient. Um, but yeah, I mean, so far it's been a really great experience, just seeing it, you know, getting into different festivals, um, and I
0: really hope that that yeah, continues to get into some more. Well, congratulations on managing all that. Uh, I definitely want to uh, be rooting for it because it really deserves to do well. Thank you. Um, I would love to jump from there to your TV pilot. And I say you won the BAFTA Rockliffe New Writing Competition Award for the Big Three O. Could you tell us a little bit about that pilot, um, what genre it is, what your process was like, whether it was uh, different or not to your short film? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I would start by caveating the fact that this
1: script was what some people might call a fuck-it script, which was very much, um, I didn't start with a plan, I started with an idea for a scene really, so it was very much um, just my subconscious brain just kind of riffing this idea. Um, I was actually writing something else at the time and I was kind of getting bogged down with it and it was very much like following a blueprint. I kind of wrote the outline, I wrote the treatment and I was just kind of going, okay, so this needs to happen here, why is this not working? So I was getting a bit frustrated. Um, so I sort of sidelined it for a bit and I was like, I'm just going to write something just see, see what happened. So that's kind of what I did. I wrote the scene and I was like, okay, this is quite fun. Let's make it more extreme. And I just put everything into it, make it really, really out there, really extreme and kind of built it, built it out from this one moment and kind of filled it out and out um, until it became a pilot. And then I was like, okay, it probably is a little bit more restructuring and, you know, a bit more focus on where it's going, if it was to be a series. So after I kind of made this first draft, I kind of restructured it, rebuilt it. And then, yeah, it became a pilot basically and I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is quite fun actually. I quite like it now. Um, yes, yeah, I it to Bath the Rockcliffe, and obviously it won, which was amazing. Um, the script's called The Big 3 and it's actually about mental health um, and the LGBT plus community and a couple of themes that I'm quite interested in exploring, obviously I'm a comedy person. Uh, so it's actually quite a fun script. There's a lot of comedy in there, um, but also a lot of sort of heart and a lot of emotion. Um, so it was just a really fun thing to write. It was very different, obviously, from a mockumentary about assassins. Um, And yeah, at the time, it just felt like a fun project to really stick, sink my teeth into,
0: really. Wonderful. It does sound so fun. And did you get any feedback from the judges about what it was that they were responding to in your work? Because they must have had so many entries. Or did you not Did you not hear? Did they not tell you? Yeah, so of the Bath
1: to a rock list. How it works is basically you get sent to a, a, ju- a judge panel, basically, and then they pick out three scripts, I think, that win. Um, so we got to that stage and then we got written feedback and we got sort of like verbal feedback as well. We do this big showcase where they um they do an extract of 10 pages of your work so they then get industry professionals to read it um it was not fun it was done virtually this year um but yeah it was awesome just to hear actors actually bringing the words to life i highly recommend doing that for any writers out there can come and have their work brought to life 100 and find some actors make them read it it's great fun um but yeah no in terms of feedback it was very much um the characters that they really responded to. So the main character is called Shayna and she is very extreme. She's got borderline personality disorder and she is, yeah, she's very brash, but she knows what she wants in life. And yeah, that makes her quite an interesting character because she's very volatile. But at the core, she's, you know, quite a sensitive person. And I think having those, you know, internal conflicts and, you know, she's not the most likable character,
0: but she's very, you can really empathize with her and her situation in the story. Amazing. And from everything that I've seen at your work, like characters are such a strong point with you. Do you have any um, particular methods that you like for how you collect characters, whether it's basing things on elements of yourself or watching other people or things that you think, oh, that's not very good. I would do this with it. Or does it come when you're on the page? Like, What's that process like for you for creating uh, these kinds of characters that you say are extreme, but they also obviously clearly... Have a core that people are responding to
1: yeah i mean it all starts kind of i guess with the kind of story and putting characters in i'm kind of like i said before i'm kind of looking for the characters who have been the worst person to go through a situation and i'm kind of thinking because that's the most fun isn't it? it's kind of giving them all the conflict and giving them um, yeah. lots of room to grow because you know if you put them in the position of being the worst person to deal with the situation they have to grow and evolve um, I think that growth and character arc is really what people kind of like with my work. Um, but yeah, in terms of starting from the ground up, I guess I start with kind of building a profile for my characters. I've got a nice, um, like a character sheet and I'll start filling that in with different details about their, sort of their past, things they like, things they don't like. Um, and sometimes I'll write little scenes aren't related to the script and just sort of put them in it and kind of see how they would respond. So I'm very much in the mind of the character. So. Um, going back just to killing for a living, I'd put the characters into a different scenario where they've missed a flight, and we're just seeing how they kind of respond in those scenarios. <laughs> um, it's quite fun because they've all got different reactions, even though they're quite hot-headed characters. Like they've all got their own, you know, different levels and thresholds of that, but it will have different nuances on that. So it's not like oh they get angry. It's like how would they get angry? How did they start trying to play the system differently, and to get what they want. So they've all got their own. Ways of doing things, and I think just taking them out of the story you're writing, going, What would this character do if this happened? Um, can really help you kind of go, Oh, yeah, I know how I know this character's been behind. And I think when you really know that, that's when you're onto a good character because they start taking on life of their own and kind of go, Oh, imagine if they're something on like a pirate ship and they've been, you know, taken over by aliens or something like that, something extreme, and you can picture what they would do. That's really when you're going, yes, this character is, you know, a bit more full informed and perhaps ready for the story. Need to go back and go,
0: right, yeah, I know how they'll behave. So kind of have those steps. That is such good advice. And I have to admit, I fought it for so long. I think it's that thinking when you've just got what seems like a short pocket of writing time, the kind of a mentality of like, I have to make this count, I have to like just knock off the scenes that are in my outline. But as you say, it's so incredibly helpful to put those characters in other situations and to have that play and know that it does speed back in. But I resisted it for far too long. So I think that's amazing advice. And I, I wish I could have given that to my younger self. <laughs> Perfect. So I'd love to ask you as well with the, the pilot process, how are you managing that process overall? And is there anything um, that you're sort of learning as you go that feels new to you about how it's being managed? Because there may be some people listening who that's the kind of dream is to win the prize. And then it's like, but what happens next? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, It's been interesting since winning because um, I found
1: I did have an agent before I won the battle competition, but people still weren't really returning my calls and my agent wasn't getting a huge amount of traction. But after I won the battle active competition, suddenly people were like, oh, let's go for coffee. And I was like, oh, great, fantastic. Yeah, let's go for coffee. Um, so that's been really, really great really. I mean, just having the opportunity to kind of meet more producers, meet with different production companies, um, and just kind of sort of putting faces to names. It's been really, really helpful. Um, but it's a slow process, I will say that it's um it took a long time for, you know, people to kind of respond to the script on, you know, different levels, kind of whether they were gonna move forward or not move forward. And I'm quite lucky that I found a small little indie production company who and really like the script and have decided sort of going with optioning it. Um, and they're kind of looking at, you know, places they can take it to in terms of like commissioners, different channels. Uh, but again, it's a slant process, so still waiting to see if anything comes of it. You know, it may or may not become a TV show or a series. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of waiting. Um, I would say one of the things that I've had to learn to do is to just keep writing other stuff while I wait. So it's not like going, okay, here's the script, this is it. It's won this competition it's going to be on tv maybe and you know you can kind of go right there it is all legs in one basket can't really do that as a writer you really have to kind of go okay so that's ticking along what's the next thing and you know kind of get more stuff to my agent trying to get more stuff written um it's a constant process really and it's like having homework you've always got homework to do as a writer um so yeah you never really stop and yeah you have to keep going and keep making stuff because you never know when it's going to land even if you think you're kind of. You know moments away from getting that golden ticket, you might not be. so you really have to kind of keep lots of things going, keep the wheels spinning. Um, yeah, be very patient.
0: Yes, oh that must be hard sometimes, but I think it's really good advice. And I'd love to ask you, um I know more about the agent manager system in the US than I do for how it works in the UK just because of listening to podcasts and having access to resources online. Having an agent in the UK, I'm assuming your agent's in the UK, how collaborative or not is that process or is it more about setting up the meetings? What's it like? Um, It's pretty collaborative, actually. I've been really sort of happy with my agent,
1: who put that in me. Um, So, yeah, it's very collaborative. I will send him scripts and then he'll give me notes, which is really helpful just to, you know, get someone else's opinion on things before I send him stuff, I do send it out to other people as well. So I've got sort of like a range of notes. And when it comes to notes, I would say send it to more than one person because everyone's view is very subjective. Um, and some people might go, oh, I really love this. And then some people might hate that. So I think if you get sort of like a few different opinions and you're hearing the same notes coming up time and time again, that's when you go, okay, there is something in this that they're saying needs um, to change or is working. But I just think that's super helpful. Uh, so yeah, having him to just sort of look at my stuff and kind of go, Oh, I like this about this, but I'm not sure about that. It kind of just, you know, helps inform my writing. It also helps me make decisions on whether I'm not to stick to my guns or if I'm going, okay, actually I didn't need to change this. Um, so yeah, it's really, really been a great collaboration between, um, between us. He's not got a huge amount of clients, which I think is really helpful because then I'm not just a, a number in his little book. Um, so I think choosing an agent wisely is also. Um, worth thinking about because you know say you win the next big competition Um you could be getting offers from everywhere I would say really research the people whom you want to work with kind of look at who they're already working with um do they have people in your space already um do they have the right connections for you um because that's just really going to help in the long run. if you kind of go okay this person does comedy they've got this comedy already this is useful for me because then I can kind of you know latch on to those other you know connections they've got um, whereas if it's someone who does drama only is something with a drama agent and you don't do drama then you're kind of in a, in a, you know, sea of people who are just in a of go tilted down the chain, eventually they won't find, you know, won't find anything for you. So yeah, do research, um, figure out if you're a good fit for them as well. It's not just about being a good fit for your agent. It's kind of, you know, it works both ways. It's a two way street. So I think you've got to gel, you've got to have the goods of poor um and don't just jump on the first person who's gonna say, Yes, I'll be your
0: agent because but make sure it's like right being Again, really good advice. It must be so hard to do when kind of that's the goal, you want the agent. But it's yeah. um having that level headed approach sounds absolutely vital that like you say it's um it's a long game. So very good advice. And I would love to know in terms of when you're getting that feedback, as you say, get it from more than one person is is there anything that um when you kind of wind back a little bit in your career that you realized was something that you really needed to work on in your craft like for me particularly is setting I'm just that's the one point I I need to keep strengthening was there any particular area of your craft that from feedback or just from yourself you knew you needed to tackle and if so how did you go about it whether that's character or dialogue or setting or structure I just love to know yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, yeah,
1: I would say it's probably just sort of tightening up plots, really. I think sometimes I can get maybe a little bit too carried away with characters and I'll have a plan. Um, then suddenly my character may derail the plan and they'll go somewhere completely different. So I had that with a feature script that I was writing. Um, it started off with a good sort of plan, followed the structure, and then suddenly my character went off in a completely different direction. And I was like, Hmm, I don't know if that's the right way or if I should kind of climb, pull them back to the outline. Um, So kind of knowing when to sort of trust, whether you should follow the direction it feels like your character's trying to pull into or whether you really need to sort of bring it back and keep a a bit more focus in the structure um, can be quite an interesting battle to have. I haven't quite sussed that one out yet because sometimes, you know, you have to kind of try it both ways to figure out which is the right method and Mm. the right way to get there. Um, But it's a trial and error. Eventually you'll find the thing that works because, you know, we kind of keep going back to it Wife is rewriting as the cliche goes, and um, so yeah, keep trying it out. I've done a few things where it's really not worked, and I've got a little bit stuck into it, and I'm like, right, I've just got to scrap it. And I've had to scrap, I think, a whole script once just because it just completely changed direction. I was like, this is not working at all, so it's pretty much like a ground zero rewrite. Um, but that's okay, you know, this it happens sometimes. The scripts aren't quite functioning where you want them to. And it's fine to just take a step back and go, okay, it's not working, but there's elements from this that you can take into a new draft, um, whether it's whole scenes or whether it's just, you know, knowing where you don't want it to go. Um, don't beat yourself up over it. It does happen and sue so everyone. Um When you hit draft 50, maybe you're onto the right thing,
0: but maybe you're not. So <laughs> you've got to keep going. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. And when you're within a writing session, I don't know how you organized your writing time, whether you like to do a particular time of day for a certain amount of hours or whether you're flexible about it, I don't know. But if you are in a writing session and you do find yourself getting really stuck, do you have any uh, tips for what you do to deal with that? Do you push on through? Do you brainstorm? What's What's your top tips for a day when you're really stuck? Top
1: tips for days when you really suck? Oh, we all haven't um i think you <laughs> know sometimes it's easy to say take a break and walk away but sometimes you've got a deadline and you're like oh crap i need to get it done like super fast so yeah. i think trying to not get to the point where you've got that deadline booming um is really helpful so try to structure time in the way that you know you're not at the, you're the end of the time and you're like oh no um you know so you're not racing to this end point but i think you know take the time you need don't try to rush anything out of yourself because writing because again, you need patience to write because it's not its not all up in your head straight away. It doesn't come to the page so quickly, you know what I mean? Um, words don't always come freely, like these words I'm saying now. So you have to give yourself the time you need. You know, walk away from the laptop, go for a walk, um, forget about it. The best ideas I have tend to be in the shower um, or when I'm brushing my teeth but I haven't got a pen handed. But, you know, those can be some of the best times to get those ideas when you're not thinking about it. So... You know, Like I said, the script that won the BAFTA competition, it wasn't something I planned to write. It just sort of came out of a, a session where I was struggling on something else and went, you know what, I'm, I've on the joy of writing, so I'm just going to write something else. And it doesn't need to be anything. It can just be for me. Um, and sometimes that can be your best work because that is it, it comes from a place where you've got the passion but love. And I think if you're not feeling that passion and love, you need to you
0: know, figure out how to get back to that place and get there by any means necessary. That's wonderful. I'm also going to write down in capital letters on a post-it and stick it to my laptop. Patience. <laughs> because I think <laughs> it's something that I lack. And again, like you say, if I'm, I'm working on novels myself. So it's a quality that I need to cultivate more of. So I'm definitely going to write that on a post-it and think of you next time I'm stuck in a scene. That's amazing. Amazing. Um, thank you so much. You've given us so much practical advice. In the last little section of the podcast, I'd love to just zoom out to the broader landscape of comedy and just ask what you're enjoying currently uh, in shows that you're watching or content that you're consuming that's within the comedy world. What's fun for you? Yeah. Um, so I've just finished watching Our Flag Means Death, uh, which has been a really
1: fun comedy. I think it's from BBC, if I remember it is. Um, but yeah, it's got Tycho TT in it, um, and he's one of my favourite directors, although he's more, I think he's just an actor in this, but say just an actor. Um, it's still really funny. It's a great little series about pirates, because what's not to laugh about pirates? Um, and what else am I watching? I've just got the d of Swiss Army Man, so I'm going to watch that later, um, because I'm really loving what the Dandoons are doing at the moment. I loved everything, every role at once. If you haven't seen that, go um. and watch it immediately, because it's brilliant. Um, so yeah, I'm just checking out uh, Swiss Army Man to see what that, that looks like. I've heard lots of mixed things, but I'm sure it's going to be a wild ride. So
0: yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I was thinking about the Daniels when you were talking about commercials and directing commercials. I heard them interviewed on the Script Notes podcast and I didn't realize how much of their background that was too and how incredibly useful. And when I thought about uh, what it would be like to make um, commercials and music videos. They also made lots of music videos. I was like, that makes total sense in terms of the energy that they're bringing to it and how they're putting it together. And they also talked about having to work very quickly and with lots of improvisation on the day, which I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known how much it was structured. But uh, it sounds like they brought all those skills to making uh, everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, I love that. Amazing. I'm writing down those recommendations and they're going on my list. Thank you. Fantastic. I would love to wrap up with advice. Any Advice that you've been given um, as a comedy writer, director, creator that you found helpful or has stuck with you? Um, yeah, so I guess the one piece of advice that's really stuck with me
1: is the ten thousand hour rule. Um, you may or may not have heard of it, but basically they say if you spend ten thousand hours doing anything, you will become you know, a master of said thing. Um, so I'm, you know, every time I'm writing, I'm thinking this is another hour I'm putting into this. You know, hopefully at some point I'll become a master. Um, uh, I'm sure I've still got nine thousand nine hundred. You know, hours for something to go, but um, I think you know. There's you know, the practice makes perfect, more, is not it? You know, you keep going, keep practicing, and every bit of writing or directing you get to do is you know more practice. So you're always going to constantly be improving. Keep you know taking those steps
0: forward, um, and yeah, just don't give up. That's great. I actually feel like that's a really reassuring way to think about it. So I think sometimes I can be like, right, I've got this hour and in this hour, I must accomplish this from my outline and I must finish this scene in this way and to actually just think of it more as practice and like you say, the trial and error and have the patience around it. I love that. You're just full of so much good advice. <laughs> I'm going re- to <laughs> be remembering you all through the rest of this week when I'm on my laptop opening up Scrivener. <laughs> amazing before we finish um where can we point people to if they want to find out more about you or your work and of course i will put these links in the show notes too yeah sure so you can go to my website which is charise or you could always follow me on twitter i'm
1: just checking my twitter handle is now so i can just make sure it's correct uh yes so it's charisse
0: underscore gene so that's where you can find me twitter or on my website perfect and as I say i'll put those links in the show notes Thank you so much uh, for your time today and for giving us such a great insight behind the scenes and what it's like in your process. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot. Thank you so much.